Good morning, Marcel family. There is nowhere, nowhere that I'd rather be than here today with you all. The scripture for today is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. If you have your Shed Bible, that's page 1113. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart full of assurance and faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting with each other, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Mars Hill. Let me get myself together here this morning. The Lord be with you. Thank you, Susie, for reading our text this morning. Um, if we haven't met or if it's been a while, my name is Ashley. I'm one of our pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you. And we are continuing this morning in our series called Essentials. Here's my first question. If I were to tell you that in this envelope were two tickets to see Taylor Swift, Beyonce, U of M, the Lions, okay, thank you, Brad Gordon, or any preferred artist or athletic team of your choice. My guess is that while getting ready for said concert or game, the two of you who held those tickets wouldn't begrudgingly get ready or have to work yourself up to get to the venue. Why? Because the tickets give you access to something that you are eagerly awaiting and anticipating. The promise of artistic excellence, of athletic entertainment, that feel, the rush of being in the arena or the stadium, hearing your favorite songs, watching your favorite team play. That access means you get to go. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us would honestly say that we get ready to arrive here at Mars Hill Bible Church for gathered worship in the same way we'd get ready for a highly anticipated concert or athletic event. I see no hands. That's good. That's good. Some of us, some of us are really ready to go. Susie was ready to be here this morning. <laughs> she was ready to be here this morning. <laughs> 
But here's my question, why is it that when it comes to certain opportunities in life, we feel like we get to, but when it comes to gathered worship, for some of us, not all of us, for some of us, there seems to be a more covert sense of duty or obligation. Perhaps you heard words like this growing up in your profession of faith. Will you be a faithful member of this congregation, accept its teaching, and participate in its worship, fellowship, and mission? And some of you answered, I will. But to this day, for some, it's been hard to remember why that would even be a question. And so instead of you get to be part of a gathered worshiping body, you felt more like it's part of the good Christian checklist, not something you get to do, but an obligation you have to do. As we continue in our essential series, where we've talked about God and the Bible already, and today we'll hopefully leave with fresh vision as to why gathered worship is essential, not just to the church in general, but to this church, to Mars Hill Bible Church. And it's quite appropriate that our text for today would come out of the book of Hebrews. There's debate over both who wrote it, some think it's Paul, and to whom it's addressed. But one school of thought is that it was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had left their life um, of religiosity where the focus was on the externals, what they could do outwardly, how much they could achieve, and they traded it in for this Christianity which de-emphasized the externals. And this particular group of Christians is thought to have found that shift very difficult psychologically. The externals were still winning. The checklists were still being carried close to the hip and heart, and that produced a collective wavering of their faith in the face of persecution. The stakes were high. In a legalistic, capitalistic, perfectionistic, supercalifragilistic, just kidding. I'd say there are quite a few reasons why we'd be collectively tempted to waver, Mars Hill. Political tension, technological distraction, environmental upheaval, personal comfort, not to mention the own crises that we navigate day in and day out. But it is here in Hebrews that the writer perceives all the reasons why this group of Christians might waver. And the writer exhorts or emphatically urges this people through warnings and admonitions, hoping that they might continue to follow the living God. So we arrive here in chapter 10. After the writer has given us a great theological deep dive on the priesthood of Jesus Christ and the call to this people is the call to us today. And that call is to persevere. You're like, well, wait a minute. What would a call to gathered worship have to do with perseverance? That might be a question you're asking this morning. It has nothing to do with perfect attendance. Here's what. 
We're called to persevere as the early church was called because only an embodied God can call an embodied church to embody love. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning breaking down that one phrase that we might recapture at least part of the vision as to why gathered worship is essential to who we are as a Jesus people for the sake of the world. And we start with only an embodied God. Our why we gather begins here, and particularly in this section, the writer of Hebrews is reminding this group of Christians not of their obligation, but he is reminding them of their access. There was a place within the tabernacle that at one time could not be entered, the Holy of Holies. If you would go back and read Exodus 26, you'll find some of the language there. And here, a curtain was hung. Moses was given specific instructions. And you couldn't just enter the presence of God whenever you wanted. But the writer reminds these Christians here that there is a confidence or a boldness of which they can now take full advantage They now have full access. And that access wasn't gained by external human striving, but by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is, watch this, his body. His body. Gerald F. Hawthorne says that every barrier to the presence of God has forever been torn down through the blood and flesh of Jesus through the true historical human experiences, including death. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, in a body, lived and moved and worked and relationshiped, not from a remote place. Jesus, our embodied Lord, came close, just as we sang about this morning, just as Kyle read about in Philippians 2. We now have full access because of how an embodied Jesus lived. Paul, back in Philippians, he encouraged the church to, in our relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. That attitude wasn't just one of theoretical kenosis, a theoretical emptying. That attitude of mind also had presence and proximity. So only an embodied God can call an embodied church. The writer of Hebrews now turns to instruct this group of Christians as to how they might enter into God's presence with that confidence. And the writer calls these Christians to three specific actions. We'll go the first couple quickly and spend a little bit more time on the last one. I'm calling these the lettuces. There's lettuce, because I can't say it any better. That doesn't make me think of lettuce. The first lettuce was this. One, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. The very first words that Kate and Barb led us through in musical worship this morning say, come, let us worship. Let us give our hearts. Let us give of our hearts and full assurance of faith, the writer continues. Here's that proximity piece again. 
These Christians are to worship and approach God with true devotion, keeping it real, if you may, in a way that made sure that was stemmed from both their inward and outward cleansing. We see a lot of baptism language here because in the early church, you were baptized and then professed your faith. So uh, the writer is reminding them, remember your baptism. Remember what's been cleansed. Offer the sincerity of your hearts. And if you were to honestly answer this question, how often do we consider the sincerity of our hearts before we walk through the doors for gathered worship. I remember when I was little, I grew up in a black missionary Baptist church as an only child, and my mom and dad, regardless of what was happening at home that morning, whether it was chaotic or the best morning ever, whether we had Shipley's donuts or not, we would get in the car, and I remember my parents would turn the dial to the radio, to the gospel station, and in the about 15, 20 minutes drive to our church, I would hear these songs, and then I would hear my parents singing these songs, and there was something that happened en route from our house to the gathered body where we worshiped at our church. There was something that shifted in my heart. I was reminded before I even stepped foot in the door of who our God was, who this God was that we were going to serve, and why we were gathering together to worship. There was something that happened on the way. Have you considered the sincerity of your own heart? If that invitation is for our hearts, the next one that the writer invites us to is for our hands. The writer says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Qualified drivers in the room, where were you taught to place your hands on the wheel? 10 and 2. 10 and 2. That's right. You were given a location to grip onto the wheel in order to optimize the control you had over the vehicle you were driving. So that despite distraction, despite something that might come and present itself in your way, you were ready. And here the writer is encouraging the church to do the same, that when distractions come our way, when tragedy strikes, when we're thrown off kilter, maybe it was in a past season, maybe you're in that season right now, the invitation is to examine where you have placed your grip. The writer of Hebrews doesn't urge them to hold on to anything else other than that hope they professed. That first hope they professed at their baptism and the way they're encouraged to hold it is unswervingly. I love this word in the Greek. It's this word that comes from the idea of an upright object not tilting at all from its perpendicular position. It is steady, it is steadfast, it is firm. So with the presence of our bodies, with the realness of our hearts, with the full strength of our hands gripped around hope that we have professed and nothing else, not our 401ks, not our family systems, not our therapy sessions, not our cars in the driveway or our mortgages, with our hands gripped firmly around the hope that we have professed, we are called to be an embodied church that encounters the presence of God with confidence, a confidence that lends itself toward and frees itself for 
the activity of love. Because only an embodied God can call an embodied church to embody love. The final lettuce. The writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward, this is our forward direction, toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on. When I was studying this word, the word rendered spur is actually a noun, which usually has a meaning that's something like irritation or exasperation. Usually this has a negative connotation, like contention. But here the writer purposefully uses this word in particular to remind the church that it takes work even a kind of positive provocation in order to stir or spur one another on in love and good deeds. This afternoon at Mars Hill Grand Rapids, we have our second annual fall fun fest, including a chili cook-off and good old cakewalk. So if you're free later, hop on down. But I imagine as people who are offering their chilies and soups are stirring their recipes, there's something that's happening to what's gathered there. The flavors are blending together more intentionally. The full boldness of what that dish is meant to be is being, becoming more rich and enriched. There's something that happens when we stir or spur. But here's, here's the catch. Spurring doesn't take just work. It takes presence. It takes intentionality. It takes thought. It takes commitment. In the ancient world, there were various roles for gathered worship, like there are in our liturgy. There was one who was presiding over the service, those who offered prayers, those like Kate and Barb who sung hymns, scripture readers, like Susie. And for this group of Christians, one scholar offers that perhaps it was the readers in the worship gathering that had separated from the main group. And as we learned last week from Tim, back then it was almost impossible for an individual to have a personal copy of scripture so believers came to know the Bible orally. That means if the scripture readers had decided to be separate and form their own group, there would be little to no way for the whole community to have chances to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Those opportunities were diminished. There's one author that says, one may practice faith or hope alone, but not love. You might be able to practice faith or even hope alone, but not love. Can I tell you what it looks like to spur one another on has never become more clear to me than in the past four months. Right after my father passed away in May, my mom and I traveled home back here to Michigan and I knew, I had a lot of anxiety around the fact that her birthday was that very next weekend, her first one. And I told our house church, like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what to do for my mom, it's something that 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to put good intentionality to, and they had asked, hey, how can we come alongside you when you're here back home? And you all, on her birthday, it was a Saturday, people pulled up with leaf blowers, with all sorts of tools that I can't tell you the names of because I don't garden. They pulled up with their kids. Our kids were playing in the backyard. They bought my mother a plat of her favorite flowers, begonias, and for the next couple of hours, they just mowed and weeded and mulched and gave her flowers for her to be able to plant, to bring her joy in one of the most difficult seasons of her life. Those people are people who sit in these gray seats every single Sunday. And I can guarantee you that there's something about the gathering here the spurring on of love and good deeds here that gave them the vision for what it looks like to actually show up in someone's real life and be loved and spur one another on to good deeds out there. And it wasn't just this group of people. I'm looking at faces in this crowd right now who provided meals, who wrote emails, who gave us encouragement, who still are doing these things. There's one person in our community every third Tuesday of the month just committed to bringing our family dinner. And I know that kind of spurring happens here. It's happening right now with our servants in the Mars Hill Kids Ministry. It happens when Pastor Denise or Pastor Kyle calls you to walk the wreckage, calls you to come learn about the ancient scripture text. It happens when our greeters meet you with hospitality at the door. It happens in the passing of the peace. These aren't just rhythms that we have fallen into, church. What I need to name for you this morning is that you are spurring one another on in love and good deed every time you show up on a Sunday morning. It's not neutral. The love that embodied God had for us passed on to one another. Everywhere you look, despite the chaos that swirls, both inside or outside of us, the love of God through the gathered church by the power of the Holy Spirit is being stoked in our midst. That how, how that happens, is as much a mystery as it is a miracle. And so, Mars Hill, it's not your perfect attendance that is required or impressive. What is essential is that our love isn't to be simply virtual or intangible, but visible and incarnational. Only an embodied God can call an embodied church to embody love. So finally, the writer of Hebrews calls this church to not give up meeting together. In verse 25, all the more, as the day of judgment approaches, this church, this people knew about this day. So the author exhorts them, the closer this day, the more seriously you should take your gathering. The more division there is in our world, Mars Hill, the more seriously we should take our gathering. The more loneliness becomes an epidemic in our day, Mars Hill, the more seriously we should take our gathering. The worse it gets, the more we should gather. We should not give up gathering or forsake the mystery and the power and what happens when we come together. I love what Pete Scazzaro says in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Church. God knows we need his skin. Not simply the knowledge that he is everywhere, 
People today are desperate for skin, to be loved, for someone to incarnate with them. Today, God still has physical skin and can be seen, touched, heard, and tasted. How? Through his body, the church, in whom he dwells. As the ancient church was invited, we too are invited first to weigh the duty and shame of obligation over the joy and freedom of access. Might you be freed from that obligation today and realize the access that you have into the presence of God. Second, to ask the Holy Spirit to examine and help reveal the sincerity of our hearts and the placement of our grip. Can you say today that you are gripping onto the hope that you profess? And finally, we are called to be here incarnationally, fully understanding that some of us watching online as I have in weeks past have very good reasons, health concerns, distance, travel, But is there a vision for us to be called here incarnationally to spur and be spurred on in love and good deeds? Just a few minutes before our service, I also had the thought, there are some people who used to be here that still need to be reminded that they are invited. There are people we have not seen. There are people that you miss each and every week. Might you remind them that their presence here isn't just welcomed, but it's necessary, that it's valuable, To that end, before we go to the table, I was hoping we could experience the essential nature of our gathered worship visually. There's a work of art at the Grand Rapids Art Museum at the Graham downtown, and it's called Tear. This is Del and myself and some friends seeing this work up close. And it's by artist Monir Shiraudi Farman Farmian. And it's absolutely beautiful. Pictures do not do it justice. At first glance, when you see it, what you see is the whole of its shape. It gives off quite a stunning first impression. But then you get closer, and you realize that it's a mural made of millions of pieces of broken glass mirrors arranged into six distinct parts that come together to form a limitless number of configurations. So you could move these pieces and create a new visual offering for an infinite number of times. And I had this thought. The impact of the piece and what it would convey would not be the same if even just one piece of glass mirror were missing. Some part of the reflection would be off. Some part of the color wouldn't be as vibrant. Some part of another glass piece wouldn't be as brilliant because that one piece would be missing. Now look around you. Like literally, not figuratively. Like lock eyes, uncomfortably so perhaps, with a person who's sitting next to or across from you. Lots of imperfect maybe broken people, assembled together by our creator for this particular configuration of the gathered church. I want you to consider 
your one piece. The gifts that you bring, those could be spiritual gifts, skills, interests, passions. And I'm going to ask us to do something. It'll last two seconds, I promise. Won't be too uncomfortable for us introverts. Go with me here. If you're willing and able, if you'd say you have the gift of hospitality, would you please stand up? Stay standing. Imagine if all of these pieces were missing. If you have the gift of leadership, please stand up. No, hospitality, you can stay standing. Imagine if all of these pieces were missing. If you have the gift of mercy, if you consider yourself to be a merciful person, please stand up. Yeah. Where would we be without you? If you have the gift of prophecy or teaching, please stand up. Where would our church be without you? If you have the gift of music or creativity in some other way, you work with your hands, please stand up. Where would we be without you? Administration gifts, please stand up. I'm not going to go down the list of every single gift. And I know some of you are still seated. But I'm going to ask everyone to please stand up. Because there are gifts if I were to pass this mic around the room. If even just one part of the body is missing. We miss out. We miss out on being able to love and spur one another to love and good deeds. We miss the reflection of God in someone else. This is why the gathered body matters, because without you, we don't see as clearly. You can have a seat. Thank you. with full access to God's presence because of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, Mars Hill. Only an embodied God who came in the flesh allowed himself to be cozied up in a woman's womb can call an embodied church to embody love. And so we turn to this table and we speak words that reminds us of Christ's embodiment with us. And I want you to listen carefully to the language that we say each and every week when we come to this table, this gift that we gather around together in order to receive yet another offering of Christ's love for us. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you pray with me in a spirit of thanksgiving? How right and a good and a joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that as we receive in our bodies your body broken, your blood poured out, would you remind us of our wholeness as your gathered church, the essential nature, the design that you created just for Marcel Bible Church. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you and forgiveness of sins. And this is the new covenant for which my blood was shed. So whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so now, Mars Hill, we recite these three phrases that remind us of the mystery of our faith. It's one that we share not just with those gathered here or who are watching online, all our brothers and sisters, all of our siblings around the world who proclaim this as well. And so we say together, Christ is die, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So Mars Hill, we can go to the back of each of our stations and you might receive elements and your time will also have service hosts up here ready to serve you. We have prayer cards. Um, if you would like to submit a prayer and be interceded for during the week, our staff would love to pray for you. We have those slips of paper in the back. You can stick them in the walls. And we also have our prayer team who would also love to spur you on as they intercede for you um, with the love that they have. We have Bennett in the back and he's ready to pray with you as well. So it is my joy to say, Mars Hill Bible Church, all is ready, and now receive who you are, the body of Christ.